This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Okay, so every so often I have to ask myself, self, why do you do this? Why do you crack the mic open day after day? Why do you talk about the things you talk about? Why do you risk scaring people or otherwise uh, just reinforcing that, yep, yep, things are falling apart like a soup sandwich? And, you know, this, I think it's a good exercise to do this. And I think not just for me, but for anybody, you know, when you're doing something, are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you, is there a purpose? Are you on target? That kind of thing. So I ask myself this on a fairly regular basis. And, and I've got to give a shout out to my friend Ruben, who uh, messaged me yesterday. And he said something that just really stuck in my brain. And, and to me was, was one of those great moments of clarity where it was like, oh, no, actually, this is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And all he said was, he said, keep up the resistance. The next hero is listening. And for some people, that may not mean anything. But for me, that is precisely why I do what I do. I don't know who these words reach. I don't know who these articles reach. I don't know who, know who this message is touching. But I'm confident that there is... There is someone, maybe there are numerous someones out there who are going to be heroes in the truest sense of the word. And they're looking for truth. They're looking for encouragement. They're, they're looking for that reinforcement that they have something to do. And I guess I'm mentioning this because, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable or anything here, but... Um, Maybe you are one of those heroes. I'm not a betting man, but I'd probably bet on it. <laughs> I'd, I'd put money on it because I think the number of people in, in our society right now who are, are looking for truth and, and willing to look for truth, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it forces them to challenge some of their previous assumptions, I know they're out there. And even though they're in the minority, I know that they need that encouragement, and I'm certainly not the only one offering it, but that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. So, thanks for coming to my TED talk, and <laughs> I will now move on. One of the things that uh, I've been watching with some interest is, uh, you know, people who are waking up to what's going on all around us. And <clears throat> for instance, if you've ever wondered how those people who lived under the Third Reich could have become conditioned to accept the inhumane treatment of other people. I mean, come on. I think most people who are familiar with the history of what the Nazis did when they were in power, or for that matter, you know, what the Soviet, the Bolsheviks did, you have to ask yourself, how do people become so indifferent to the suffering of others? And I think we usually do it from a position of, uh, you know, the moral superiority. Well, I know I would never do anything like that. I wouldn't be guilty of such things. But I would encourage you, take a look around you. If you want to understand how the people who lived under these despotic regimes from history, how they could have become conditioned to just accept other people being marginalized, singled out, denied their rights, their human rights, and ultimately rounded up and uh, you know exterminated. Take a look around you. 
because there's something very similar that's happening today. Now, no, we don't have people goose-stepping around in the marketplace, and we don't have somebody with a funny mustache, you know, shouting orders and orating to us. I mean, the mustache part's, you know, the part that's missing, but we do have some pretty weird shouting and stuff, but... Beside the point, the goals may be different, but the process of dehumanization is very much on display right now, right in front of us. Came across a great article on intellectualtakeout.org. Pedro Gonzalez is the author, and it's called The First, I'm sorry, The Impending Mass Firing of America's Unvaccinated. And I'm not trying to stir up a fight here with anybody. I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to tell you, boy, you better get in one camp or the other. I think it was Paul Rosenberg who last week pointed out, if you don't stand up for the unvaccinated today, it's a pretty safe bet you wouldn't have stood up for the Jews in 1938 Germany. And to some people that sounds, you know, unbelievably harsh. How could you even suggest such a thing? But you got to remember what happened to the Jews. The concentration camps, the final solution, did not come all in one big fell swoop. It came incrementally. Little things, little by little. And that's what we're seeing play out today. Pedro Gonzalez talks about a guy by the name of Zach Spolar, who found himself running around in a frenzy amid the COVID-19 surge in December, tending to three or four patients at once, laboring into the night, at a Los Angeles hospital. The hardest thing Zach said, this is the hardest part of the job, was having to constantly console people who couldn't be with their loved ones in the intensive care unit, even if they were dying. Well, now Zach Spolar is among many of the essential workers threatened with unemployment and diminished job prospects for refusing vaccination. Police, firefighters, doctors, nurses, paramedics, airport security, prison guards across the country are facing termination this week if they don't comply with their employer's vaccine requirements. Now, many have already lost their jobs. Many have been disciplined. Others say they'll define the vaccine mandates on principle. But the bottom line is, as a result, we're going to see essential workers soon in short supply in many parts of America. Now, I'm going to pump the brakes here for a second and just ask you, what's your gut reaction? And if your reaction is good, good, they didn't do what they were supposed to do and therefore they ought to suffer for it. Then I'm going to suggest that the person who is lacking moral decency in this equation is not that person who's refusing the vaccine or is about to be fired from their job for failure to comply with this policy. It's you. Why would you wish harm on someone because they didn't do something that you think they ought to do? Now, Spoiler says, look, I'm not opposed to vaccination in theory. In fact, his wife already got the shot. But he is a young and fit individual with antibodies higher than they would be with a vaccine thanks to getting COVID from a patient before Christmas. Zach says, the only reason I got sick is because I had a week where I worked six days in a row with crazy hours. I wasn't getting any sleep. I was all run down. So for him, not getting the vaccine boils down to a matter of principle. Why force someone to take a drug they don't want or need? And Pedro Gonzalez writes that Spolar is now reduced to part-time contract medical work with lower pay, no benefits, 
retirement, or upward mobility, as no hospital will hire him unvaccinated. And with Los Angeles County's vaccine passport mandate for restaurants and movie theaters, retail establishments, and other places, he can't even move freely in the city he serves. And of course, you probably realize he's not alone. Los Angeles City employees are required to be vaccinated by today. Roughly a quarter of Los Angeles fire personnel have signed a notice of intent to sue the city if they're terminated for not being vaccinated. And there are rebellions in other parts of the country as well. In Newark, New Jersey, firefighters and police officers are protesting the city's vaccine mandates. In New York, Governor Kathy Hochul announced she will deploy the National Guard to compensate for staff shortages due to the firing of unvaccinated nurses and hospital workers. Now, the U.S. federal government has set a deadline of Monday, November 22nd, for all civilian federal workers to be vaccinated. The Transportation Security Administration has said four in ten of its employees are unvaccinated. Now, think about what this means. I don't know if uh, that, that date, November 22nd, besides John F. Kennedy's assassination, that means that that deadline could come right before one of America's biggest travel periods, that being the Thanksgiving holiday. Wouldn't that be a great time to have 25% uh, less, actually almost 50% less, staff manning the airports, the Transportation Security Administration? I know there's some people going, good, <clears throat> let's get rid of it altogether. <clears throat> but consider that there, there are consequences that go beyond just forcing the employees. Meanwhile, U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency is in an uproar over Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas threatening to terminate a significant portion of the unvaccinated workforce. Now, similar protests and potential firings over COVID vaccines are happening all over America. In government workplaces, at the federal, state, and local level, as well as in many places of the private sector. We're going to come back to this article in just a moment, but again, I'm going to ask you, What is your reaction to these people who are about to be turned out of their jobs, not because of, you know, malperformance on their part or because they were, you know, in some way, you know, causing harm? They simply haven't chosen to go along with a dictate that government really has no right to issue. Do they deserve it or do we need to stand up for them? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to drop in a quick word here about one of my sponsors, that being lifesavingfood.com. I uh, spoke with uh, Kendall yesterday. And, you know, we, we've been very grateful, I've been very grateful, I should say, that uh, over the past few weeks, prices have held pretty steady on, on these food storage uh, items. Kendall reached out to me yesterday and said, hey, the price increases are starting to kick in. And it starts, of course, with the meats and things like this, but he says that uh, there, there are legitimate difficulties in getting new supplies of dehydrated and freeze-dried food. Now, none of this is intended to cause you to panic. It's not like, hey, 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 don't think, man. Just, you know, get your wallet out and make a make an order right now. 
All I'm pointing out is the supply chain breakdown is definitely increasing. All right, that said, let's get back to Pedro Gonzalez's article about the impending mass firing of America's unvaccinated. He talks about how uh, two days ago, I'm sorry, he says two days before he spoke with this nurse, Mr. Spolar, in, in Southern California, an anesthesiologist named Christopher Rake was escorted out of UCLA Health in California for refusing to be vaccinated on the grounds that it violated ethics and personal freedom. Now, Rake had created a support group for like-minded medical workers, Citizens United for Freedom. That was made up of both vaccinated as well as unvaccinated members. Pedro Gonzalez says, Rake talked to me about his final days on the job. In fact, he says, I wasn't put on the schedule on Friday, October 1st, but I went to work anyway, and it was a good thing I did because they called me and they said, we need your help in operating room eight. Somebody called in sick. And everything seemed fine until Rake received an email later informing him that he had been placed on administrative leave without pay. Still, he came into work the next Monday, and after a confusing discussion with management about whether he had been terminated or not, security guards led him off the campus. Now, Rake was one of just many casualties of the first vaccine mandates imposed in September and early October. A hospital in upstate New York made so many of its nurses resign mid-September over the vaccine, it actually had to, d- to suspend delivering babies. Three weeks later, Northwell Health, New York's largest health care provider, fired 1,400 employees over the same issue. By October 6th, Kaiser Permanente had placed 2,200 employees on na- nationwide on unpaid leave. But it's not just hospital workers who are getting co- cut or forced out. Josh Sadley is a veteran Beverly Hills firefighter who says, me and my coworkers never took time off because of stress. He's explaining what it was like working through the pandemic. And he says, when we got sick, we took COVID leave and then came right back to work afterwards. It wasn't devastating for any of us. <coughs> Excuse me. Sadly, contacted the vi- contracted the virus on the job. And he isn't necessarily opposed to vaccines. However, the aggressiveness of the mandates and the skepticism of or skepticism rather of the pharmaceutical industry led him to request a religious exemption after he prayed about the issue. And sadly says the Beverly Hills City bureaucracy swatted down the initial slate of applications for religious exemptions. In fact, the city implemented its own process to judge applications, which included religious tests to determine if one is in fact a true believer sadly described it as an interrogation about his religious beliefs. On the day that the firefighters were scheduled to receive word on their exemptions, Beverly Hills City Council member John Mirish published an ominous memo in the Beverly Hills Weekly. Religious exemptions are meant for deeply held and sincere religious convictions. He wrote, They are not hall passes for those who don't want to take the vaccine, however strong those feelings are or whatever conspiracy theories they may believe. Now, Satley and his colleagues took Mirish's letter as a sign that they never had a fair shot. And they were right. Out of 25, <clears throat> excuse me, applications, the vast majority received only temporary exemptions, which will be reevaluated at the end of an interval. Half a dozen applicants, including Satley, were outright denied. 
So Sadly says, I told the city no after he learned of the decision and the ultimatum he faced to get the jab. The next day on Friday, they shot me a letter stating that I was going to be on leave without pay and I was relieved of duty. Now, termination could be next for him. California firefighters have their own Bill of Rights, which, in theory, provides them with the most thorough privacy protection of any public employee in the state. But among other things, it entitles them to due process and protection from interrogation. But all that has taken a back seat to the ongoing state of or the ongoing medical state of exception, he said. So even when they get exemptions, unvaccinated firefighters are subject to a kind of soft discrimination. Sadly, says the city has removed anybody with an exemption from the front lines. They put them on a rig that doesn't respond to any emergency calls. They only go to fire-related calls. They're ordered not to respond. They're not allowed to be involved with patient care, even though they're meeting the county mandate. And the result of those segregated rigs is is a delay in response times, with parts of the city going uncovered by paramedics providing advanced life support resources. In other words, in the name of public safety, Beverly Hills officials are actually making the public less safe. Okay, similar story from Willie Amalu. He's a San Francisco firefighter. And and the, the list goes on and on. Now, this is a pretty lengthy article from Pedro Gonzalez, but it's definitely worth your time. I'll have it linked in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Here's what he says, though. He says it's unclear what the contingency plan for mass firings of essential workers looks like. Firefighters and paramedics are not easily replaced anywhere in America. Even before the pandemic, localities across the country were battling shortages of medics and firefighters. And the same goes for police departments. Indeed, amid the ongoing crime surge, dismissing cops over vaccine noncompliance is a little bit like playing Russian roulette with public safety. A new Guardian analysis found homicides across the 12 counties that make up the greater San Francisco region soared 25% in 2020 compared with the previous year. That's 114 homicides more than the year before. San Francisco Police Department's currently short 400 officers and has a hard time attracting new recruits. Nevertheless, Pedro says an officer with that department told him about 100 unvaccinated officers are on the chopping block. Even the Coast Guard has hardened its stance due to what it sees as a double standard in the military. When the vaccinated catch COVID-19, as they often can and do, no one seems to mind much. But when the unvaccinated fall ill, ooh, there's hell to pay. According to the Coast Guard, senior leadership is hugging this line where they say, we're not punishing you for being unvaccinated, we're just trying to be safe. But it's starting to feel more and more like it's punishment. So now the question is, How many people is the military willing to lose? I mean, the Coast Guard assists in various domestic missions from law enforcement activities to search and rescue operations. Replacing them isn't easy and discharging them doesn't make America safer. The Army's making a similar gamut. 485,900 active duty soldiers have until December 15th to be vaccinated. Another 336,500 National Guard and 189,800 reserve troops have until the end of next June. But with looming deadlines, hundreds of thousands more, all across the other branches, haven't complied with the vaccine mandates. Now, Pedro Gonzalez uh, quotes uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, who wrote that the degree of civilization in a society can be judged by entering its prisons. And Pedro says, excuse me, 
Pedro says something similar can be deduced by how we treat the unvaccinated. These essential workers kept their jobs before vaccines were available. Yet they and their families are now suffering professionally because of the mandates. And they're suffering financially because of their conditions. The unions are against them. Their superiors have turned on them. Their cities have shunned them. They served America, but America is turning its backs on them. Does that seem right to you? This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. So I think I showed up with about 90% of my voice today. I'm going to make this work, but uh, if you hear me clearing my throat, I apologize. It's terribly unprofessional. But i got to keep talking. By the way, our show is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, also LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Just wanted to point out I've got some great sponsors. If you would like to become a sponsor, go to my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com. There's a link you can click to become a sponsor. It's, it's very affordable. I will tell you right now, I do not have the biggest audience in broadcast. And I'm totally okay with that. Because what I have instead is I have a very active and engaged audience who listens and who processes what is being said. And, I mean, would you, would you rather have people who are really listening or a bunch of, you know, superficial people who are indifferent? I can connect you to the ones who listen. we got some great stuff to talk about here. I want to start on a positive note this time around. I, I know with all that's happened over the last couple of years, I totally get why many people are feeling pessimistic. I have to fight back those feelings myself. I mean, I there's things that I see that I just go, oh boy, <laughs> this is this ride is getting really uncomfortable, and I hope it slows down or stops soon. But while the developing supply chain crisis is yet another stressor to deal with, it's also kind of a hidden blessing. Now I know you're thinking, what a stretch! How is this going to be a blessing? Well, Eric Ward has a great article on uh, AmericanThinker.com that explains why there are some hidden blessings that uh, provide clarity as to what's taking place thanks to this supply chain breakdown. He says the Chinese character for crisis also means opportunity. And there are several blessings hidden amid the current supply chain crisis. So one of them is exposing our dependence on Chinese goods. He says, you've likely heard about the dozens of ships lined up outside the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles. These ships and the millions of containers they're waiting to offload are filled with toys, electronics, textiles, automobiles, appliances, building supplies, tools, pet food, batteries, solar panels, car parts, microchips, and on and on and on. All made in China. And he says, our decades-long offshoring of manufacturing 
has made us dependent on a foreign adversary. He says our annual trade imbalance with China regularly exceeds $70 billion. Now, what that means is we are overly dependent on China for many of the things that we consume. And he says we should use this opportunity, in quotation marks, to reevaluate our purchases. He says, do we need all this stuff? And if so, can we not look to domestic alternatives? Maybe use this crisis to bring manufacturing home? He says, let's use this season to resist buying more and more Chinese crap. Shop local, support your local mom and pop, look for the Made in USA label. Okay, not a bad suggestion. The other bright side of this growing crisis of the breakdown in our supply chain is that of government incompetence. The crisis has exposed the incompetence of Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, and a myriad of government bureaucrats. Now, a plethora of government busybodies has damaged our market system. And while they will blame the market or suggest that this crisis is a success, he says it's abundantly clear that elections have consequences. Some segment of the electorate may have chafed at President Trump's mean tweets or his braggadocio, but at least things worked during his tenure. So the author here says, it's my hope that the people see this crisis for what it is, and that is a foreshadowing of life in America under communism. Government doesn't need to take over the means of production if it can effectively take over the corporations that control the workforce or the means of production. That's a little something to think about, too, with all those vaccine mandates. Vaccine mandates have dictated the winners and losers in our economy. Leftist corporations are proceeding with abandon in the wholesale destruction of millions of wage earners. No doubt these plebs will be given some menial tasks to perform, possibly the construction of their own gulags. Okay, that's not a very optimistic note, but his point is well taken. And he says, President Trump would remedy the above two scenarios in a New York minute. He would overturn Lesko Brandon's unconstitutional vaccine mandate incentivize production at home and create opportunity zones for Americans to offshore the manufacturing of to onshore rather the manufacturing of things that Americans consume. He also would expose and clear out the vast incompetence deeply rooted in Washington uh, in government bureaucracies rather from Washington DC to San Francisco Bay. Now there's a lot I agree with here that Eric Ward is saying. And and part of it is looking on the bright side. We are seeing how dependent we become on China. That's a good thing to know. It's good to recognize that, yep, that dependency is not helping us. It's good to see the incompetence on the part of government. I mean, look, I've avoided piling on Pete Buttigieg, but um, the, the press in trying to either endear him to us or otherwise excuse his... A curious absence at a time when, you know, so many parts of the supply chain are breaking down due to transportation issues. I mean, as the Secretary of Transportation, you might think he would have some interest in this. But no, Buttigieg and his partner are at home with their newly adopted baby learning how to breastfeed. I know it's, you know, for some it's it's a tender moment. For others, it's like, why is the media telling us this? Are we supposed to just kind of, oh, and ignore the fact that uh, we're no longer able to get the things that we need? 
I mean, I think it's great and all that, uh, you know, Pete and his partner were able to adopt a baby and, you know, that they're learning some some of the intricacies about breastfeeding, which it turns out, you know, biologically born men really, uh, you know, they don't, that just doesn't come natural to them. They have to do some workarounds. Fascinating as that is, <clears throat> I wonder if he might do his job. And and the other thing here, this this is, you know, I, I'm not trying to... to Pick on uh, Eric Ward here. Okay, Trump may have done things different. But I think it is a mistake to look to Trump or any other politician as, well, this is the one we need to get in here and solve this. What he describes in terms of all of the um, government incompetence doesn't call for smarter government to manage the market for us and to regulate and, you know, to make things happen. If anything, this proves the point. We need government to step out of the way and let the market function. There were some hopeful thoughts that that might start to happen back in the early days of the pandemic. Remember when, you know, certain guidelines were waived, you know, certain regulatory things set aside so that more uh, more people could domestically manufacture masks, for instance. We need more people able to innovate, and produce without first begging for government permission. And I do think the truest thing that he says in in his piece here is that uh, you don't have to be under communism or take over the means of production. Government doesn't have to directly control the means of production if it can effectively control the organizations, or the corporations rather, that control the workforce and the means of production. I mean, that is the big lesson that we have seen writ large over what is happening right now. The corporations have plausible deniability. We're just doing what the government tells us to do. We have to, you know, otherwise they're going to fine us. And, And I guess we're supposed to feel sorry for them. And this is tough for me because the libertarian streak in me looks at this and says, well, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deny them their private property rights if it's a private corporation. But if that corporation is operating in concert with government, I'm not so sure it's a private corporation anymore. I think they may have actually surrendered some of those private property protections by getting into bed with government in the first place. So I don't know what the I don't know what the logical solution is here. I'm just pointing out this is not a case of well but these these you know, these entities, these corporations really are purely private. Not when they're doing the bidding of government. And especially when they're doing the bidding of government in ways that are actively dismantling your liberties and my liberties and, and uh, setting aside matters of conscience. Now, I don't think the, the solution is, well, we need to get government to rein these things in. I mean, come on, are you paying attention? It was government involvement that got us in trouble in the first place. Take government out of the equation. If these corporations want to do what they're doing, hey, they're free to do so. They're also free for their workers to walk off the job. Southwest Airlines, do you have any thoughts on this? Just wondering. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Got to give a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah at 619 South Bluff Street. If you are one of the very lucky people who is, uh, you know, relocating from a place where freedom is less common, you're coming to the Intermountain West, particularly to the great state of Utah. Well, first of all, congratulations. I think you're going to find a lot of great things going on there. It's not perfect, but it's it's a heap better than, than some of the other places, which is probably why you came there in the first place. If you're looking to make a purchase of a home, you probably already know it's the craziest real estate market most of us have ever seen. So when you find the home of your dreams, you got to have your financing squared away right now. And this is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage comes in. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She clearly understands the ins and outs of what the lender needs, what the borrower needs, and she can make it happen when time is of the essence. Her NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. And you can call the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage at 435-703-4522 or click on the link that I provide in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. It's an email link and it will take you directly to Heather herself. All right. I want to keep on kind of a positive note here as, as we're moving forward into this hour. Again, I do what I do because I believe that somewhere out there is a hero who is just looking for reassurance and looking for truth and light to enable them to stand up and do what they were born to do. And it may be you. In fact, after you hear what Isaac Morehouse has to say here, uh, you you may definitely feel like, hey, uh, maybe it is me. See, the more I learn about the problems at hand, the more I'm starting to realize that the solutions we need start at the individual level. Isaac Morehouse has a brief but powerful edition here that was published on everythingvoluntary.com. It's titled, You Are the Answer to Every Problem. I know our tendency is to hide behind a little false modesty, possibly because we're trying to avoid, you know, drawing attention to ourselves, or maybe we're trying to avoid responsibility. Listen to what he says, though. Listen to how he answers these questions starts with the question, how do we make the world a better place? Isaac Morehouse's answer is, make yourself a better person. How do we expand freedom? He says, make yourself more free. How do we improve people's habits and health? And Isaac Morehouse says, well, kill your bad habits and get healthier every day. How do we spread truth and light? Isaac Morehouse answers, always tell the truth and purge darkness from your life. How do we encourage courage and virtue? His answer is pay the price for doing what's right. How do we improve education? Isaac Morehouse answers, push yourself to learn every day. How can we improve families? And his answer is, improve your family. I love this last one. How can we curb misinformation and programming? The answer is, never follow the news. Isaac Morehouse says, we is nothing. You are the only thing. 
Now, I'm going to go back over these just a little bit because I, I want to break these. I mean, some people would say, well, they seem very trite. You know, yeah, so just do it yourself. Do it yourself. Bootstraps and all that. But I want to read into his answers a little bit and just explore what could this mean? How do you make the world a better place? Will you make yourself a better person? Okay, how do you make yourself a better person? I would say that starts with knowing who you are and knowing what you stand for. Now, you don't have to go to a shrink to get that figured out. An exercise that I have put to to work in the past and that I have actually found very, very productive is to get away from all of your electronic stuff, get away from the hustle and bustle of traffic. If you can, find a place in nature. Someplace with solitude, with quiet, with beauty. I don't know why, but that's important. It it seems to inspire. Take something you can write with. Not a laptop. Take a pencil and paper and sit down and just start writing. What's right in your life? What are you grateful for in your life? What do you see in your life that brings you happiness or satisfaction? Any person who does this is going to find that they have a better understanding of who they are as well as what they stand for. And notice I'm not saying write down everyone who's ever made you mad, everything that's ever ticked you off. Focus on what is good, what you find rewarding, what makes you feel alive. That's knowing yourself. And once you know yourself, you have a direction to go and you can become that better person. How do you expand freedom? Make yourself more free. The key to this one is just stop asking permission. Government's never going to give you the permission to defy its dictates or to disobey. So be a free person. Make your way peacefully, of course. You don't want to infringe on other people. You don't want to damage them or their property. But choose to be more free. Choose to stop asking permission. Choose to, I'm going to put this in environmental terms. Choose to uh, shrink your governmental footprint. There you go. How do you improve people's habits and health? Kill your bad habits. Get healthier every day. That should be pretty self-explanatory. Be willing to see things as they really are and don't minimize. How do we spread truth and light? Always tell the truth. I think back to, to Alexander Solzhenitsyn and that council about don't participate in the lie. Now, the lie takes many different forms. Don't be somebody who helps to spread or carry the lie along its merry way. And if there's darkness in your life, I'll give you an example of this. Um, Somebody posted this on Twitter the other day. Twitter is an amazing resource. And as I read how this person was describing what what they had observed about Twitter, I realized, hey, this is how I'm using it. And that is, I can find some very good information, you know, just things that point me towards articles that I can then read and decide for myself. And yeah, there's some negative stuff. In fact, some of the most vicious ratioing that I've ever seen in my life takes place on Twitter. But you don't have to follow people who just are there for the the blood sport. Block or don't follow the people who thrive on conflict Purge that darkness from your life and follow the people who do bring light to what they're sharing. 
I would say this applies to pretty much any media source, but I was particularly thrilled to see that about Twitter. How do we encourage uh, courage and virtue in the world around us? Pay the price for doing what's right. And that can take a lot of different forms. And, uh, you know, I live in Idaho now, and uh, I see Ammon Bundy out there on the campaign trail. The guy's running for governor. He's a great example of someone who pays the price for doing what's right. How many people do you know would be willing to sit in prison for two years, only to be freed, never convicted of a crime, and then go on with their life and still be as absolutely firm in their convictions, if not more firm than before? There's a reason that he scares the crap out of the political establishment. And it's because he has paid the price. His worst critics, and he's got some really nasty ones. I mean, they make the folks on Twitter look pretty reasonable by comparison. Uh, they, they, they still cannot take from him the fact that he was willing to suffer for his beliefs. Well, they have not. I don't know if that makes them feel inferior, and that's why they, they lash out with the kind of bitterness that they do. But, yeah. Someone who has actually suffered for their beliefs is someone who you can definitely take more seriously than those who have never felt consequences for their opinions or for their ideals. I got a link to Isaac uh, Morehouse's article. You can see it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show.